the album. I'm Don Seckler. This is Tommy Hilkin. How you doing? Hey, Don. Good to see you. Good to see you. Brand new podcast. We're just starting out. And what we wanted to do is kind of take some of our favorite albums and and tell you guys the stories behind those albums. So we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, our impressions of the album and different songs and also you know, what was happening with the band, how these songs came about and, and how it all fit together and, and kind of bring the album to, uh, you know, another level of life. The one thing I want to remind everybody, no matter what platform you're on, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. If you want to see the future issues, we're going to be going through all of your favorite albums in the future. So you don't want to miss a thing. Amazing. We're talking about albums and at least they're coming back now so people have an understanding of what an album is right right because <laughs> we've been through we've been through it all man so uh, it's good to talk about the albums talk about vinyl you know listen it was our, it was our love our life so i'm glad we also are going to uh, build in a, a charity aspect to the podcast and tom you want to tell us about our charity that we're working with well hey thanks don but the charity that's working around this with us you know inside the album is It's called Music for Mark, Uh, a a friend of my daughter's. He died suddenly in a motorcycle accident at 19 years old. And the kid was just so musically inclined that he brought music to the world. He was a beautiful guy. So we started a foundation called Music for Mark. So we keep on his legacy of being a nice guy and helping people and being that guy. And what we're going to do is we're going to provide once, twice a year, musical instruments and musical lessons to kids who can use them. So anybody who's possibly struggling, their kid has musical talent, but can't get out there, we're going to help them get out there and bring the music to the world. So musicformark.com is where it's at. And I look forward to more people learning about it. And I know our show is going to get people turned on to it. So you know, thanks yeah, for bringing I'm super excited. Uh, anything we can do to help, especially in, in the musical area is really exciting to me as well. So yeah, I'm so happy that we're able to do that. Love it. Perfect. Um, so we're going to start off with an all-time classic album from an all-time <laughs> classic band led by this guy right here, Ozzy Osbourne. We're going to be talking about Black Sabbath. And, you know, we're not going to start off with the, I guess, the probably the most popular album, which is Paranoid, right. with a lot of big hits. But we're going to start off with the first Black Sabbath album, which is titled Black Sabbath. Mm. Uh, so tell me, Tom, what do, you, what do you like about the album? What was your first impression? Well, you know, it it was truly when you listen to it, as you said, Paranoid got to the point of where it was like the hits, the radio play. But once you learned about Sabbath and you went back to the album Black Sabbath, that's when you fell in love with Sabbath. It is truly the deepest, the greatest, you know, the emotional part of being a Sabbath fan, this album. It's truly one of the great, greatest albums you'll ever listen to. And there's a lot of stuff behind it that we're going to cover, I know. But for me, it was once I get turned on, yeah, like everybody else, paranoid. You heard it on the radio. Sure. Who's this Sabbath? Yeah. It happens with most artists, you know. But man, oh man, once you got into the catalog and you got back to the album Black Sabbath, that's when life changed for me. Yeah, just, uh, you know, I mean, again, Sabbath is really kind of known as the first heavy metal Mm. band. And, you know, you could kind of debate that because Zeppelin was out right before them, right? Uh, The first couple albums. But but Sabbath really drove that kind of 
heavy doom and there, there's a lot of factors that went into the sound that they got which we're kind of gonna kind of go, go through but i think it was that really kind of that uh almost evil sound that really nobody was doing and you know they kind of went for this horror vibe at first and so you know we'll talk all, about all that stuff uh but for people who don't know uh just want to run through the members of the band of course ozzy osbourne the lead singer just you know everybody knows ozzy you know whether you know him from <laughs> music or from the reality show a few decades ago. Yeah, I think you could stop it. Everybody knows Ozzy. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much, right? <laughs> Who doesn't know Ozzy? Uh, the other guys in the band, Tony Iommi, the guitar player, and we're going to talk about uh, Tony. Tony had a, an accident when he was a kid. He was working in a sheet metal factory and actually mm. cut off the tips of the two middle fingers on his fretting hand. Well, he's a lefty, so he's on his, on his right yeah. hand. So Tony actually created uh, fake fingertips from a, a plastic detergent bottle, like a, you know, what you would say, like a Dawn or whatever today. <laughs> and so this guy is playing with, with missing fingertips. And, and mm. so one of the things that he had to do was he had to detune his guitar to make it easier for him to bend the strings since he was missing those, you know, those fingertips. And he also had to play fifths as opposed to like fourths and other other chords. That's a little more in the music theory thing, but those are kind of that, that's the big chunky bump bump, you know, the real heavy stuff. And so that detuning the guitar, loosening the strings, his fingers and, you know, how he had to play really made that, a, it makes that really meaty kind of ballsy deep sound that, that the original Sabbath has. And, that, and you, you know, you think about that, right, Don? If he didn't lose his fingertips, he would have never had the Black Sabbath sound. It's like, you he know, could have been a blues player, you know, <laughs> he, he could have ended up in something completely different. But it forced him to go into this. And what happened, you, know, you have Geezer Butler, who's the bass player, also mm. wrote uh, some of the songs. But Geezer was not a traditional bass player with kind of the bass riffs underneath. He followed Tommy. So that kind of even made the sound even heavier because it was so thick with that bass and the detuned guitar. And it really gives it that 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 real thickness that you don't hear these days very often. Um, mm -hmm. And then, of course, there's uh, uh, Bill Ward is the, the drummer of the band. So and so these are the original members and they shifted at, you know, throughout the years. Ozzy left in a little bit in the late 70s through the 80s and. So they had a couple of different singers, but when you think about Sabbath, you think about Ozzy. I mean, it, yeah. it's always Ozzy. It's never Ronnie James Dio or or the other guys who are singing with the band. Not in my world. I'm no, just, no, I'm no. Just of gonna, course, I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. another interesting thing is, uh, so Ozzy and Tony Iommi actually went to the same school, so they knew each yeah. other as kids. Ozzy and Geezer were in another band before Sabbath. Um, you know, so these guys were kind of grew up together and knew each other. They were, you know, all living in the same area. I think it was Birmingham in England. And so yep. it's a group of friends who just really gelled once they, they got together. Yeah. And the reason they got together was literally, uh, you know, they met in school, but they weren't good in school. <laughs> right. <laughs> Ozzy talks about that. There's a reason there in music, it, all four of them, was school wasn't their thing. You know, that's, yeah, that's what exactly. I love about it. But Thank listen, God. <laughs> yeah, like attracts like, right? You know, it's yeah, like, you know, yeah. who you, I can remember who I hung out with in high school as well and what we created, right? It's, it's interesting. So, yeah. 
But what was the name of their first band? It was pretty interesting. Yeah. yeah so yeah, the first band. I thought that was interesting. It's crazy. So it, they were actually named, I think it was after a, a talcum powder or something like that. It was a polka tuck blues band. There it is. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I wrote that down. I wanted I to mean, talk about that. It was so That's weird. Cool. And you you know, I, I was like, polka, where did this come from? So it was some kind of product, household product. I think it was like a, a talcum powder or something that they, yeah. they took that name from. Um, and then they, at that point, they actually had extra people in the band. They had six people. They had a saxophone player and Ozzy hated that original name. They became this, uh, they shifted to uh, calling themselves Earth. And yeah. then they actually ran into, there was another band using Earth at the time. And so they moved over <laughs> to Black Sabbath, which they, uh, you know, that was the, the one that really stuck for them. And they really leaned into that with the first album and including the song Black Sabbath, which we're going to talk about in just a second. But the, the interesting thing to me, though, is uh, so this album was recorded in 1969. So the, just the very end of the hippie days, yeah. uh, released in 1970 in the UK in February and mm. then June in the U.S., and so we kind of, I took a look at what was on the billboard charts for 1970. So here's the music environment at the time. It's Simon and Garfunkel, Bridge Over Troubled Water. This it's is the great. Carpenters, Close to You. <laughs> the Guess Who, American Woman. All right, a rocker in there. Yeah. DJ Thomas, Raindrops nice. Keep Falling on My Head. Right? There you go. Midnight Cowboy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the Jackson 5 was in there, Beatles, hey. Rarer, Three Dog Night, Mama Told Me Not to Come. So that was the kind of stuff that was out there. Wow. And so this, when you say, look at those songs, those albums even, or those bands, musically, Sabbath was a real punch in the face. It was something that oh. it was so original, so different than anything that was going on at the time. Well, yeah, not only in the pop culture, you know, pop music was so big, but you got to remember in the late 60s, the psychedelic music was in as well, you know, tune in, turn on, turn out, you know, right. whatever it was. And to think this was a completely something, a whole new genre, it really was. And that's why it hit you right in the face. You know, no one had ever heard anything like that before. Yeah. And we'll talk about it as we go along. Many, many people, if not the kids, but the parents were afraid of it, which is pretty interesting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And we, we've got a great story about that. <laughs> That's an interesting <laughs> one. So uh, it actually did uh, did pretty well on the charts and it actually got up to uh, number 23 on the Billboard 200. And uh, it was also included in the uh, a book called 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. So uh mm. th this album you know while it's probably a little less popular paranoid still super super important in terms of the, the history of rock and and especially of metal when every metal band out there now is you know they they all go back to sabbath as as a huge influence yeah um well you, well, you think about it right it's uh i guess the original name heavy metal came from them you know or people started to had a label. That's the reason I was mentioning earlier is that with all the different genres of music, this one had no name. Right. No yeah. Name. <laughs> right. That's the right? thing. It was something so brand new. And uh, it's interesting the way those things work out and how these names come about and these different yeah. types of music. And um, think about it, though. It fits it well. Heavy metal fits it well. Yeah. 
Yeah. So let's go back to we'll go back to 1969. Here's Black Sabbath. These guys are a band and they're playing, you know, locally around England and a little bit of other places in Europe. And uh, so at the time when they right before they recorded this, they've been playing these crazy shows where they would play, you know, five, six sets, 45 minutes a, uh, a piece uh, all day. They'd just be playing. Oh, yeah. So basically, they're just jamming live working on these songs, refining them and, and, and playing a ton, a ton of stuff. So when the opportunity came to record the album, first of all, they didn't have a lot of money. So they got the studio for one day. So th this entire album, they went in and recorded the entire thing straight through in like eight to 12 hours. Is there, you hear different stories when you ask different guys, but they're, you know, this yeah. point who, who can remember 40, 50 years ago. Um, Not them. Yeah, so, exactly. <laughs> so basically they came in and did their live set and just recorded it. And there really weren't a lot of overdubs. There was some guitar work that was reworked a little bit, uh, some doubling of some, some sounds of voices and things like that. But Ozzy even, I think there was on the song Warning, Ozzy wanted to go in and redo some of the vocals. And they said, nope, that's it. And wow. so, it, it, you know, they just went in there and cranked it out, which is amazing. The best. The you best. Know? You know, and, when I learned I mean, about that story that they just went in and they, this is what we do live and they recorded it and they ran right through it. I mean, like you said, they wanted to, you know, edit some stuff out. Ozzy being Ozzy wanted to change some things up. Record company said no. And listen, when we look back on it, we should all be glad they, it just is. It's raw. It's yeah. the first. It, it's uh, yeah, it definitely, it, it definitely makes a difference when you hear that, you know, that these are the stuff that they just, they were so good at playing because they were doing it so much. Yeah. Um, and the funny thing is, so when the recording session ended that day, the next day, they went, were off to like Switzerland or something to go play a gig for 20 pounds. So <laughs> they basically recorded the album and then left. And the record company, the people did the sequencing, they did the mixing, they created the album artwork. All this stuff was kind of done with very little input from the band. And so uh, one of the things you, you see them sometimes complain about is they said, oh, well, you know, we went away and then we came back and the record company put an upside down cross on the inside of the album cover. We had nothing right. to do with that. And right. it, it made it oh, all of a sudden this they, they said that this kind of Satan thing was all like thrust upon them. But is that really true? Because when you listen, you know, you got a song about a, a girl who's doing it with the devil you know so <laughs> I, I, you know they, they protest right. about the satanic thing a little but they also wrote these songs that had that content you know right it, it was dark it was gloomy it, you know it had meaning to them but i just want to touch a little bit about back in the day which you don't see as much is that you know, pretty much you were owned by the record company back then. You know, there was no complaining or they would just drop you. Yeah, they right. they created you. They promoted you. They put the brand behind you. So literally, you know, they could look back and I'm sure they do now, you know, the band Sabbath that, you know, thank God we had a record company behind us that created right. us. Yeah, well, I, re I read a quote from Geezer who said, you know, in the end, they knew what they were doing. We just were players, you know, right. so they were while they kind of protested about it. I don't think they really were that upset about it.
Right. Um, but then Tony Iommi, so they come back and the album gets released and all of a sudden they've, you know, they, they had uh, Wiccan high priests and Satanists are showing up at the gigs and <laughs> the record company in the US even launched the album and had a party that involved the head of the Church of Satan, Anton LaVey, back in the day. So, uh, so he funny. was like kind of overseeing the, the launch party of the album, which is crazy. So Tony Iommi said, well, all of a sudden, Black Sabbath were Satan's right hand men. <laughs> yeah, that, that was it. It, it, gave, it gave them an audience. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, right? And know, I was so thinking about this. I wanted to throw it out to you when, when we were discussing this. And I was glad we were going to discuss this album. You know, the difference between, you know, the you know, late 69, 70s was you heard more about Satan worshipers. You really did. It was like a big thing. You, Oh my God, they worship Satan. And it's kind of taken its course and kind of sort of pestered and fested away, you know? So yeah. it was interesting. It was a good time for it. It was really was, it was a perfect timing for this yeah. kind of a cult kind of thing. Right. Right. So, and so, you know, the album as people who've listened to it know it is dark and it's heavy and it's, you know, there's, we'll talk about the specifics of some of the sounds that they use in it that, that create that kind of gloomy, creepy sound. Um, mm. One thing was that, uh, so Tony Iommi uh, started off recording this album on a white Stratocaster and the the pickup broke and it's not like today where you could have somebody run down to guitar center get a new pickup and put it back in this is something you had to order from somewhere they weren't readily available ah. so his backup guitar which was a gibson sg which it then kind of became the sabbath sound even though it wasn't like that wasn't intentional so it, it made that heaviness that fatness even fatter because the the telecaster or the uh, stratocaster is a little bit more uh kind of high and a little bit tinny or sound and the gibson guitars especially that sg with with those uh humbucker pickups is a much thicker sound and you can get it to be really kind of um, a little muddy and stuff and so that again added on top of that sound and that's you know that's really what we know that their uh how their sound came about and, and where it is today or you know through the years and you know all these things that were discovered as we're hearing and talking about it's like discovered by accident you know like with Taomi's fingers picking up the guitar having to use that guitar all of a sudden the sound changes you know right. this is what they were all about they were so original that they were actually just discovering their sound along the way right which yeah. is could you ask for more you know, it's not like they've ever had to copy any, they never copied anyone. Right. The other thing I wanted to talk about, just bring up is, is the critical reaction at the time. So when the album came out, um, I don't know how many people are aware of Lester Bangs, a legendary rock critic who was the writer for Rolling Stone. He's uh, featured as a character in the, uh, the movie Almost Famous. Yeah. So if you've seen that, him... You know, and sometimes the critics, I think, are just kind of negative on purpose, you know, always looking for something that's not sure. good. Sure. And he said that the uh, the album was just like cream, but worse. <laughs> so he actually he dismissed it as a, a shock, which I'm not sure exactly what that means. But he said, despite this, the murky song titles and some inane lyrics, it sounded like vanilla fudge playing Dodrell Trabbit. Uh, tribute wow. <laughs> playing doggerel tribute to Aleister Crowley. The album has nothing to do with spiritualism, the occult, or anything 
much except stiff recitations of cream cliches. <laughs> wow. Wow. So, Interesting. You know, they weren't, the album was not really well received by the critics because people, you know, there was a bit of jamming in it a little bit, which kind of, people were kind of sick of, I think, at the end of the 60s, because sure. the 60s were really the, the kind of the jam time for rock and roll. Sure, yeah. Um, so it's interesting to see that that was, you know, the, the first thought from from these kind of, these critics. I just love that, the, you know, you don't even think about it, but... When was the last time you mentioned vanilla fudge in your world, right? <laughs> yeah, like, right. Uh, yeah, right? I, I don't so even know that. Cream I can... and vanilla fudge. Well, to me, it, it, knowing who cream and vanilla fudge was, to me, it makes no sense in the world because I've listened to both. I often did when I was, you know, younger and had my albums. And still, to me, I don't know how that review came out, but to me, it made no sense, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it doesn't, right? <laughs> well, you know what you said, they, it keeps them in the limelight. You know, every yeah. critic needs to be somewhat controversial. So people say, oh, I wonder what he has to say today. You know, yeah. I, I, I did look into that whole thing about, and I, you know, did you see Ozzy's feelings about critics? You know, no, Ozzy, what do you say? Uh, well, Ozzy's line was pretty much, you know, all these guys went to college. So they're fantastic how they can look at something and tear it apart. He goes, listen, we barely got through high school. All we know is music. We don't know anything yeah. about critiquing or what it right. sounds or what it should sound like. Right. We get up there and we play. So well, Ozzy back then thing, knew you know? exactly. Ozzy back then knew exactly who he was and never got worried about what the critics had to say. Right. Yeah. And yeah. thank God, because, you know, when you start listening to those outside people, these guys are super creative, super talented musicians, and you just got to go and let your creativity go and don't worry about what people think. And now, yeah. you know, now they're legends because of it. Yeah. So what, one of the things that I really love about this album is the openings of, of some of these songs are just so, so classic. <laughs> so my three favorites are, of course, Black Sabbath, which actually starts with 35, 36 seconds of, of rain and bells and thunder. And, and that was all added afterwards. So they didn't, that was not part of the song when they recorded it. But then you get this. And I also that. Bomb. 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 So that what that is, it's called a triad. And so it's a very dramatic, you know, kind of sound. And they just leverage that to that opening noise and then that opening lyric. And uh, what is it? Uh, what is this that stands before me? Mm -hmm. um, you know, so that kind of opening really, that's what I love. The other ones that I do love are um, the opening also to this one. <laughs> the wizard, right? With Ozzy on the, the harmonica. Heavy nice. metal harmonica, right? But listen, the key it's in, right? Everything is always in the Sabbath key, right? It's, right. It's even the harmonica minors, doesn't yeah. sound harmonica. That's great, right? Uh, and then this is my introduction to Sabbath was this song. Uh, NIB, which I think is one of my favorite all-time riffs. Starts off with that little bass intro called Basically. It actually has a name. Yeah. But here it is, right? Yeah. 
openings to me that just like draws you in and now you're you're fully bought into this song and uh you know so i think they're so powerful with those openings and then the songs would go on you know a lot of the songs on this album it depends which pressings you see and how the songs are split up so sometimes some of the songs are shown as one track like you could see wasp behind the soul behind the wall sleep basically and then nib is sometimes all listed as one song sometimes it's mm. broken out but for the most part, the songs are longer. So you're talking about four or five, six, eight minute, nine minute songs. Um, and so that, you know, really gives you a chance to, to kind of dig into the meat of what's going on there musically. You know, when you know, I just want to throw this in, you know, just my thoughts on the album Black Sabbath itself, right? It's the kind of thing that you take home and back in the day, you'd have, you know, this giant stereo system that th this is truly meant to be turned up. It's not party music. It's just with those freaking, big speakers, right? Yeah, with the big speakers and the woofers and you're getting hit, but you're getting hit by the sound. It's not so much the ears. And I mean this when I say this, the meaning behind it for me was to feel it. You feel this album. You're not so much you hear it. You feel it. You get part of it. You know, yeah. every chord that's getting hit hits you emotionally and hits your nerves. Yeah. And, and it comes back to that sound. It's that it goes back heavy, to that sound. That, it's so different than anything that was out. And when you take this, and this album is, and, and I have to share this because when this album is taken and played live, right, and you hear this live, it's an experience of a lifetime. You know, it, it's just something that you just can't even explain or imagine. The energy in the air from the people and the, these songs is just so powerful. I mean, you get emotionally attached from the first chord. Right. Yeah, and you, like you sure. were saying, nothing like it. You feel it inside of you. And that's why, you. I fell, that's why I fell in love with it. I mean, that. Yeah. it wasn't well, it wasn't like, oh, wow, I really like this song. It right. was like, oh, my God, it's visceral. It's in here. You know, yeah, it's no, in your chest and you feel no it, doubt it moves about you it. No, like I, any I, great music. That's why I always I just, I'm always shocked when you go to concerts, even with, you know, nowadays we're older. The bands are older, you know. But I'm yep. always shocked when people just sit down and I don't know oh. why you're there if it doesn't move you to <laughs> get up and, you know, you don't dance or whatever, but, you know, feel it in your body. And yeah. Yeah. Great point. Great right? point. Well, yep. You know what? And I, and I agree with you. It's, it's, it's everything that I go and everything I love. And I still when I put this on, I still feel the same way when we were going over this and I had my headset on. You know, I had to crank it. You know, it's it's the way our world was. And man, oh man, some of the greatest music and this album being one of the, you know, it says 1,001 albums you have to hear. I put it into 11. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a top top 20 for me, for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. To listen to. Yeah, oh yeah. Not yeah. to just play in the background. I, yeah. I will say that about this album. It's not background music. It's just not like, hey, oh, Sabbath's on. You know, you got to be in there. You got to be in there with it. So let's talk about the songs and some of the stories behind each of the, or, or not every song, but most of the songs. This is kind of a short album, actually, even though the songs are long. Overall, time-wise, it's not a, a super long album. It's one of those records when you put it on, there's a, a fairly large space, you know, close to the label. Yeah, um, it is actually quite short. 
yeah so you know but it's interesting with uh so some of these things we we dug up uh we're we're looking at the song the actual song black sabbath yeah and it, it turns out that bill ward was listening to a lot of classical music at the time it was playing a classical song um and it, <laughs> the I, best. I, it was on he was playing it on the bass and then tony kind of came up with the riff based off of what he was doing so it was kind of a mix of like some classical listening and then their own take on it and and you know turning it into rock um so sometimes these ideas can come from anywhere you know and and sometimes your you know your heavy metal heroes are, are a, a classical music fan you know or oh, or something sure. other else that's different um, it, it literally comes down to you got to understand what what did you grow up with, right? What was being played in the background for them? You know, I I I grew up. My my dad loved the Ink Spots, right? And I could mention the Ink Spots. Nobody knows who the Ink Spots are, but yeah. you know, back in the day, tremendous music. The in, the Ink Spots, you know, and that's yeah. what I grew up with. Which you know, naturally, I progressed into my kind of music. But I imagine they grew up the same way, listening to what their parents listened to. Yeah, and part of part of Tony Iommi's process when writing was, and this is kind of a common thing that you see with a lot of very talented musicians. A lot of them like that loud, quiet, dark, light kind of contrast within a song, and yeah. you definitely hear that here. You know, you hear that in in the song Black Sabbath. You hear it throughout the album where there's those parts where it's a little bit down, and then those other parts come crashing in, and it's so <laughs> emotional. You know, it just yeah. really. It really is. It's like you get you get lured in and then you get punched in the face. Right. It's like you're yeah. sitting back. No, no, no. You can't sit back. Boom. Let's go. <laughs> right. Yeah. And but the problem that they had. So they had the idea this is going to be OK. You know, we're going to do kind of horror music because people love scary movies. And that's where they got the original concept. So it wasn't originally, hey, we praise Satan. And most of the guys right. were, I think, Catholic, actually. So one of the things that uh, came out of this was the music is kind of scary. And so yeah. Ozzy complained that when they started playing the song Black Sabbath, he would see the girls go running out of the <laughs> venue, screaming, like literally screaming because they were so it. scared. It's great. And Ozzy's like, well, if we're scaring away all the girls, what, what are we doing this for? <laughs> yeah, this is rock and roll, man. <laughs> and we're losing you know? the girls. Yeah. Right? That, I know. love that. Yeah. It's, you always it's hear so these true. guys, well, yeah, I learned to play guitar to get girls. You know, so. You know, I didn't know if you were going to touch on it, but we were talking about horror and they were into it. Uh, you know, Geezer Butler was into the, uh, a lot of horror movies. And the name actually came from something from Boris Karloff who was huge back in the day. And that's, there was, there was a movie or something with the fact that Black Sabbath was in the movie. So that's right. how they brought that to the forefront was something with an old Boris Karloff thing. Yeah, 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 good point. Hey, what do you, Magic, hey, what do you think of Black Sabbath? <laughs> hey, all right. You know, you, you, wish, you wish you could have been in the room. Right. right. The stuff right. that was going on and like, why are we doing this? And what are you guys? You know how many times they must have heard, my God, what are you guys doing? You know, when you think about it, right. You know, yeah. rubbing against the norm. When you go against right. the norm, you got to have courage. You got to have so conviction. Different. Yeah. So different than what was out there again. Oh, you know? my God. Yeah. And, and so you know, generally record labels are afraid of different. You know, sure. Sure. Because. They want money makers. Right. Here's they want the same thing now. that was working. Let's get yeah. more of it. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. The, the album cover, there's a, a figure in black. It's a, a woman with a, a hood and we'll, we'll show the album cover. Um, yeah. So it's this kind of shadowy figure that Geezer came up with because he had seen it in a nightmare and wow. it was like really scary. So he told this to Ozzy and he said to Ozzy, it was a horrible presence that frightened the life out of me. So you know, some of this was based on their own real kind of fears. And Ozzy's like, well, that's pretty scary. Let's do it, you know? Let's do it. That picture, that album, that house is still there. And, oh, really? Uh, yeah, oh, the woman cool. was a model back in the day and they brought her in. And uh, the, my favorite part about it was they just wanted her to feel the part. So all she was dressed in was that robe, nothing else. Huh. They literally, they were going to go for a different look and have it in a more sexy kind of a thing. Right. And then right. they realized to just have her standing there with the long hair hanging down and just yeah. her hands by her side. And it worked perfectly because it's a perfect album cover. Right. Which Yeah. Oh, yeah. Someday... yeah. So it's kind of creepy and, and weird and stuff, but the sexy thing would not have worked at all. So I'm no. glad they didn't go that no. route. But that was, that was the record company again, suggesting to them what they thought would work. And again, someday we'll talk about that in another, you know, podcast in another conversation. But, you know, we grew up having some of the greatest album art ever. Oh, yeah. Great conversation when they yeah, we could do a whole whole uh, episode on that. Yeah. Um, So the song N.I.B., great, great, awesome song. My all time favorite Black Sabbath song. Yeah, uh, that was something that they wrote. They were playing clubs in Germany like the Beatles used to do and just getting in there and playing these, you know, like I said before, these seven sets a day, 45 minutes, basically jamming. And so NIB kind of grew out of that. They came up with the riff and, and just, uh, you know, took it to another level there. Um, and it's also a, ha- a song about a woman c- basically hooking up with the devil, you know, so, yeah. it's my you favorite. know. <laughs> <laughs> hey let's write a song yeah here's an idea <laughs> and again at the time that this will go over scandalous. big this will go yeah. over big <laughs> yeah with with middle america in 1970 right no that's great that's great so it, the other thing uh so nib a lot of people think it means nativity in black or name in blood and that is not accurate and the actual story is that they're in the dressing room before, you know, one of these marathon shows and they're smoking weed or something. And uh, Ozzy says to Bill, hey, Bill, your face looks like a pen nib because he had this pointy beard. <laughs> and so they called Bill Nibby for a, a while. And then that ended up taking that and using that as the actual song title. And then Ozzy said, well, let's put periods in between the letters and that'll make it seem very fancy. <laughs> yeah. so, how, how great is that? But when you see about the following they started to create when we're talking about this, everybody took their own perception of what it was. That's why Nativity in Black, all the things that came up, right? Those old things came up because it was being created by their own audience. So they yeah. were really building a cult following who are literally, you know, calling it whatever they wanted, right? Yeah, sure. Get where it was going, where it was going for them. NIB, they just put it up there. People started to call it what they wanted, what they believed it was. I think there was more legend of the audience believing about Sabbath than Sabbath was actually putting out. Yeah, I think it kind of feeds off itself, you know? So as you see that, then people start talking and make stuff up, tell their friends. 
But yeah. you know that the happens. I think of Black Sabbath. Well, and it happens with so much music. So you you hear so many stories about a band or artist writing a song and talk, you know, writing the song, and then it means something different to the audience than what they had originally intended. Sometimes it's better, sometimes it's not. But it's it's interesting how you know. But that's I think that's part of the enjoyment of music is as what it means to you. If you know if if it doesn't mean anything to you personally, then what's the point? Why do you bother? You know. Well, yeah, it has to it has to impact you some way, and I think that's what we're talking about today. And the reason we started with this album of all the albums and all the artists in my life, you know, this impacted me in a positive, positive way. You know, but then again, I was a rebellious kid. So, you know, I enjoyed the fact that I was putting on Sabbath in my house, making my father's head explode. You know, that was was your goal, right? (laughs) Well, that's what it was good for. But then again, I realized, you know, no one understood the music behind it, the actual quality, you know, of what it really, really was. The musicians, you know, nobody ever gave it the thought of the musicians behind the music and what became behind the album, like we're talking inside the album here. You know, really skills and talents that these people have were tremendous. Right? Oh yeah, so to me, phenomenal. Yeah, it, it was. It meant so much more. So let's talk a little bit about the wizard, which is another great song. And the the story was originally that the people had again another fan story that it was an ode to the band's drug dealer. When the wizard walks by, <laughs> everyone is happy. Uh, but Tony Iommi said that that's not true. So he uh, explained that Ozzy and Geezer were wandering around wasted. And some guy was leaping around outside being silly, you know, probably drunk or wasted as well. And he looked like (laughs) kind of an elf to them. And so they kind of named the song after this guy. That's kind of was the impetus. So it's some wasted guy outside of a club. And then uh, also when you look at the lyrics of the song and Bill Ward said, when I think about the lyrics to The Wizards, some people could probably feel that they're laughable but they actually meant a lot to the band. And so they, they felt that this was kind of a, a, an opportunity for them to show people what was inside of them. So even though these songs are kind of heavy and quote unquote demonic, you know, they still are expressions of these musicians, you know? And so that's always interesting to see that it comes from a, a little bit different point of view than what you originally thought. You know, you, you you just said something. So I'm just going to share a little aspect of mine, if you don't mind here. Sure. You know, I, I never, and and it's it's funny, I guess it was my love of music and you know my love of music and the shows and people I've seen. And that's why we're together talking music because we both have sure. this foundational love for music. You know, I, I never got wrapped into, in, into it of demonic or, you know, Satan. It, it never crossed my mind and I mean that, but I, I fell in love with the music. And that, oh, that's, yeah. the inter- that's the interesting part for me is, you know, it, it had no meaning to me whatsoever, except, man, this is great music. You yeah. Know? And, and I think once once Sabbath broke through that and people started to see them, got through it, that the artists that they truly were and the impact they were having on the music world. You mentioned earlier all the followers of heavy metal praise, you know, Black Sabbath. And there's a reason for that. They're not saying because, oh, look what they did with the satanic music. They're saying, my God, these guys were great, great songs. Yeah. 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 yeah the, set, the, the satanic stuff. I mean, you know, there's some of that in metal, I guess, still with these crazy, like the death metal and black metal and all these types of things <laughs> yeah. and whatever. 
but it always comes down to the songs for me. You know, I'm not a Satanist or anything. I don't really care about any <laughs> come of that on, stuff. Come but, on. <laughs> <laughs> but I just enjoy it. I enjoy like I love going to see Slayer. I'm not a, you know, not into any of that <laughs> kind of stuff, but I love the music and enjoy it to totally yeah. just as as music and art. So oh yeah, um, and me too. Me too. Yeah. It, it's I, I get exactly what you're saying. You know, I, I don't take and like I said, it's the music. I don't have to go any deeper than that. It's what I'm hearing and what I'm feeling, not right. what somebody's putting into my head, not what somebody's saying to me. You know, like if somebody was going to say to me, oh, you listen to Black Sabbath, you must be into Satan. No, shut up. I, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm into the music. And I mean, and that's what I always carried with me. I, I never fell into that. And, and I tell you the truth, man, I, I would turn my kids on to Sabbath and did. You know, I have three daughters. They know who Ozzy is. They know Black Sabbath. My right. daughter went to, my youngest daughter went to OzFest. You know, <laughs> and was I worried? No, go have a good time. Right, you know? exactly. That's the way we looked at it. So did you know this? Did you know that Tony Iommi actually joined Jethro Tull for a brief period? Oh, wow. Yeah, wow. so right, right before like uh, Sabbath started recording, Tony Iommi actually left, went with Jethro Tull. I think he was on the road with them or worked with them for a short period of time, said it wasn't for him. Yeah. But the thing I that he see. said that he picked up from the, working with those guys was work ethic. And right. so when he came back, the first song he wrote was Wicked World. And mm. that was kind of from that tall, hey, we got to, here's what we're going to do. We got to get in the studio, get this written or, you know, sit down and write this song. And that refocused work ethic, he said, made a huge difference in his life going forward. So he learned that from Ian Anderson and being in Jethro Tull, which is interesting. Yeah, well, you know what, Ian Anderson, you know, he ran a band like a band, man. He always did. Yeah. You know, all credit to him. You know, he, he was in the music business. Right. He was, right. A, he was a smart cat. Yeah, listen, think about this, man. We can talk about it now. You don't stick around the music world 50 years. <laughs> right for no reason whatsoever exactly and now we're talking 50 years right and you know <laughs> to a degree it is a business and and those guys who the bands that that manage the both sides the creative yep. side and the business yep. side the best are the ones that last forever you know yep. um you look at the rolling stones because mick jagger runs that business like a, a corporation and you know you could say okay the stones don't put out the best records these days but you know, they're still the Rolling Stones and they've been around since <laughs> the beginning of time. So, dude, yeah, we, we, with Stones as a whole, we'll have another story about the Stones. Oh, one we'll def well, we're definitely going to have some Rolling Stones stories. <laughs> yeah, we got some Stone stories. You know, being a, it, I'll throw it in here now. I, I, I just got one personal story because it's always fun. And, uh, you know, so when I first did, you know, high school, 1976, so I, I started to really develop a love for Sabbath. And I got to go to my first show and I always, I always share this. It's like, what you, what is, what is your worst nightmare, right? Going to see a Sabbath show and to share this with you, Ted Nugent opened up the show for Black <laughs> Sabbath. So nice. you knew it was going to be a good night, but you know, halfway through the Sabbath show, I look up in the garden and I look up and there's a row of chairs on fire in the upper deck. <laughs> of Madison and Square Madison Square Garden. Garden. Yeah. Right. So at, you know, at 16 years old, I'm looking and going, how cool is that? Now you realize that the place is on fire. <laughs> right. There you was know? a lot of there was a lot of craziness in Madison Square Garden in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. there was an Aussie show where Metallica opened where basically the floor was destroyed. 
oh. every seat in the place was like ripped off the floor and, and it was a, <laughs> a nightmare. But, yeah. you know, that's back when we were younger. These days I wouldn't, you know, it'd be a little tougher for me to handle that kind of stuff. And ain't it the truth. Yep. It's like so, the old uh, mar- going to see the Ramones and standing in the mosh pit. Exactly. Yeah. Right. There was yeah. a time when I'd be in the last row of the place waiting to walk out the doors when the show was over. <laughs> <laughs> Stop getting old, my friend. Stop getting old. So one last little tidbit, or well, I got a, one tidbit about a song and then a couple of in, other interesting facts I want to I kind of go over here. Um, so the song Sleeping Village, uh, it's a, uh, people may not be as familiar with that song. It's not one of the more popular songs. It's right. kind of a slow, haunting acoustic song uh, about the Salem witch top trials and it was originally titled devil's island so again there's sabbath kind of stoking that you know satanic thing that they claim that was forced on them by the record company um but you know it's it's kind of hard to walk away from that when you you're calling your songs devil's island and, and those sort of things um no, it, it was working for them and you know yeah. what when you're starting out you know you'll You'll brand yourself whatever you need to get a following. Listen, it's rock and roll. You know what I mean? The the bottom line is, no matter how we look at it, no matter we want to put it, it still falls back to rock and roll. And we can go back to Chuck Berry, wherever you want to go, but it's still rock and roll. You know what I mean? For sure. For sure. Yeah. And uh, I I mentioned before about the songs being listed in the album in different ways over the years in different countries. And probably the reason that that was done was because their contractual requirements made them uh, ask for 10 songs per record. So I have a longer piece, they would then like the intro to NIB is that bass riff, right? Well, that is called basically on the album. And it's just a a minute or two long, but that was to fill the record contract. That's the reason why they did that. That's a great, so, that's a great yeah, little so nugget right there. To this, to this day, you'll see the songs listed in different ways, either broken out or put together. Um, and the other interesting fact is that uh, a, most of War Pigs and Fairies Wear Boots were also written at this time. So, you know, while they're in this zone and they, they took out this time to record this initial album, they were still writing because they were playing so much in these jam sessions and at, at the shows that they were doing. And a lot of these other songs were, you know, also coming together, but weren't used for these albums. They used for later albums. You know, you just mentioned War Pigs and uh, what else did you say? Fairies Wear Boots. Fairies Wear Boots, yeah. And, uh, you know, being that we're on a Sabbath kick, you know, I'd, you know, there, were, there was messages that were put out in songs. And, uh, you know, I'm just thinking about this one because it just came to mind. I'll just say it, you know, sure. whatever it is. You know, Killing Yourself to Live, you know one of my favorite Sabbath songs. And if you listen to it, it's there's really a message there about people are going every day out there killing yourself to live. And Ozzy's yeah. point was, what are you doing? And right. I, and it always stuck in my head. And you know what? And the message came to me loud and clear. You know, most people are going out killing themselves to live. So, so Sabbath had a great impact on me emotionally, as well as, you know, these guys were well thought out. Uh, Ozzy and, and the band, no dummies. No dummies. No, whatsoever. no. Yeah, they act very... You know, Ozzy always says, oh, like you were saying before about the guys being smarter, went to school and everything. But a lot of that is BS. You know, they really wow. are. Uh, you know, these guys are on top of their game, not only musically, but but how they, uh, you know, how they, they run their business and everything. Otherwise, they wouldn't be around. Yeah. How so. they kept the brand alive. You know, yeah, exactly. Keeping the brand alive. How many people can say that they've done that? 
You know, we can look through the careers of music, people have come and go. And there's a reason why it's carrying the brand and staying true. One of the things I'll always say about, you know, from, from the first album, Black Sabbath, all the way through, no matter who was in the band, you know, they stayed true to the brand that this is Black Sabbath. That's and we true. Don't, we don't get away from Black Sabbath. Right, you know, right. This is it. And that's one of the greatest things I've learned and liked about them. They always stay true to the brand. You know, yeah. They didn't think of themselves as heavy metal because they didn't know what heavy metal was. Right, But they right. knew what Black Sabbath was. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and I love You know, that. there are things like, you know, the song changes and things like that. There are things on, that Sabbath has done that are not even close to metal, you know? Right. <laughs> Good point. So, Good point. Yeah. But it's, it's, not, it's, but it's not like Beth, you know what I mean? <laughs> no, no, no. Nothing's <laughs> like that. Figured I'd throw it at it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about that when we get to Kiss. <laughs> no, we won't. No. <laughs> <laughs> now we're definitely doing it. <laughs> Only if you play it in the background while we're talking about it. Of course, of course. It was I'm like gonna, how, how to I'm split the concert in two. Jam up front, go into Beth, and then finish up the show. That's what right, I, right. Exactly. That's for another talk. Exactly. <laughs> All, right. All right. So that's Black Sabbath by Black Sabbath. That's in yeah. the album with Don and Tommy. And Don. make sure you subscribe and check out our next episode. We, you know, we don't know what it's going to be at which album, but it's definitely going to be something good. So it's going to be fun. I look forward to it. Yeah. Thanks, Tommy. Hey, Don. Good being with you, man. I'll see you next All right. time. Take Bye. care, everybody. Have a great day. Thank you, guys.